Welcome to The Power of a Graceful Leader with Alexis Thompson. Join us as we explore ways to access your deep inner wisdom, learn what it looks and feels like so that you can find your own path to integration, flow, and alignment, awakening the graceful leader within you. And now, here's your host, Alexis Thompson. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Power of a Graceful Leadership podcast. Thank you for being here with me. I am honored and elated to be sitting in conversation with Guillaume Power. He has uh, made a mark in the world in the areas of mental health, storytelling, self-care, and definitely resilience. Guillaume Power is the founder and CEO of TLC Lions, of which I'm a part. Guillaume set up his first business at age 13 and later worked at Deutsche Bank and PwC. In 2019, Guillaume was the winner of the NatWest Great Business Entrepreneur Awards as well as sitting on the board now with This Can Happen and the UK's, which is the UK's largest mental health conference and as the ambassador for the Missing People's Charity. His work has reached over 1 million employees and featured in Forbes, Business Insider, BBC, and more. In 2015, an unexpected family tragedy changed Guillaume's life forever when his father was murdered overseas. After some months off to lead the murder investigation, which is continuing today, Guillaume returned to work, but shortly after one of his colleagues died from suicide from the PwC building. Guillaume's mental health was deeply affected by the recent events in his life, and Guillaume started to see the power of sharing his story and experience with others and the positive impact that it was having. He decided to leave PwC to set up TLC Lions in order to focus on the power of storytelling as he continues to share his story with companies all around the world. He has become a friend, actually. Um, but more importantly, or maybe equally important, I, I should say, he's been a mentor to me as we dive into the six tenets of a graceful leader, specifically around the tenet of transparency, the power of storytelling and the vulnerability it takes to tell our story at any point in our life trajectory. And um, Gian and I met through Client Interface, and he said, hey, I think I'd like you to join my group, TLC Lions, which I hope you'll Google and check them out. They're amazing. And we talked and we had a great connection, which I think you'll feel here. Then he's like, why don't you just tell your story? And I said, yes, before I thought about it. And then after um, I said, yes, about three days, I panicked. And I said, no, I I don't think I can do this. Um, And he's like, no, you can do this. We'll help you get through this. And then I ran a, like a Facebook video because I just to like a thousand close friends kind of thing to see how it would go. And it, it got a lot of really um, deep connection and inquiry. And I was like, oh, I think he's got something here. And so even though in comparison to some of the lines you have on the stage, I feel small in some of my stories, which I think is part of where we're going to end up going through here through grace, your grace with me offered me grace within myself. To, to kind of come out of my shell. So I want to thank you and express really deep gratitude as we dive in here. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. I'm okay. Ready. Okay. So um, when we talk about grace, there's, it has so many definitions, right? And, and I've told this story on a couple of the podcasts that I got deterred often by naming the, a leadership book with the word graceful in it. I was told many times not to do it. Um, And I did it anyway, and I'm glad that I did. Um, But one of the things that helps us to level set this conversation for the audience is to really understand how are we defining grace in this conversation? So I'll just share with the audience how we're doing that is grace is the experience of a loving, connected compassion 
within oneself and graceful leadership is that compassion and grace in action. So it's that whole interconnected piece. Typically, as you're reading down through the tenets, you'll also understand that it's the, once you understand and connect all of who you are, you then understand how you connect with others and then how you connect with other beings and ways of being. Like, for example, for me, one of them, a big one is nature. So we all have our own path into, out of, and through grace. And I'm excited to explore yours. So the first question out the gate for everybody as we go is what role does, how does grace exist in your life today and any other way that you'd like to share? Thank you. And for very kind words, you're always very humbling, Alexis. Um, I suppose for me, grace shows up sometimes when I least expect it. For me, it's a mindset. And it is often a conscious mindset when I like to wake up, especially when I have a very busy day. And it's one where I say I'm going to have a sense of calmness and clarity in my thoughts and actions for that day. And so anything that I do, anything that I think, I just do it in a very connected way with myself and my body. And especially when I've got you know, a lot of meetings going on, I'll say I'm going to enjoy the meeting and I'll close the meeting and I'll open the next one. And I think when I think of grace, I think of something that a therapist once taught me and said to me is, you know, Gian, you're a human being, not a human doing. Mm. And I always think about that just to be, if I just do and do and go through meetings, no, let me be, let me be present. Um, And that's kind of what I see as the days when I say I'm going to be graceful in my approach. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't happen every day. It's going to be (laughs) open and honest, you know, but it's something that I aspire to. And I know that the busier things are, the more that needs to show up in my day if I want to have a happy and successful day. Yeah, that's beautiful. Very, very, very good. Okay, so I know that you're a kind of a health advocate. I see lots of on your Instagram. I'm in the gym. No matter where you're traveling, you are in the gym. It's inspirational for me because when I used to travel, I would avoid the gym. But I've been thinking about as I pick up travel, maybe I would pack for that event. Um, But tell us a little bit about um, tenant number one talks about integrating mind, body, and soul, which we've, I think we've heard the commercialization of that. But when you try to put that into practice, however that looks for you, it can be, it was for me at least a little overwhelming. So can you tell us kind of how, if you have any of those practices and if you do, um, how you may have gotten there, how they serve you today? Yeah. So I think that Um, And again, it's been a real journey. It's not, these have been learned habits I've had Mm -hmm. to forcibly put myself in to make them part of my life. And one thing I I always talk about when I've got to make decisions, Mm -hmm. you know, I know this is mind, body, soul. I like to, I do like to look at the data. I like to look and get my facts, but then I like to take myself away from everyone and everything. And I often go to a sauna or a steam room when nobody is there. And I just be and I tune in with myself on a very deep level. I focus my breathing, get myself on a level. And I just tune a bit deeper into this is normally when I've got to make a decision, by the way. So uh, and then I just really tune in with myself. And if and when I feel that every fiber of my being is aligned with that decision, I will come out of there. Might take me five minutes, 30 minutes, and I will go ahead and say it's happening and I'll go. If for any reason, and it happens often, that there's something niggling and I just felt, no, I just can't. I've learned not to do it. Don't get me wrong. I've made mistakes. And every time I say it was always right. So I think going back to the health and the mental, spiritual, physical, 
you know, I'm big into my morning routine and my wake up and connecting myself spiritually. Then I like to physically go and work out. And, mm-hmm. and I often like to, I know it's classes journaling now, maybe, but I don't force myself. It might happen in my phone. It might happen with a pen and paper. It might happen in my thoughts on a bench. And I like to just tune in with myself and say, how are you feeling? What are you doing? Like, what are the biggest decisions that I've got to make today or that's on my mind? And how do I feel about them? And yes, that's a very waffly way of me saying, I I like working out a lot, both my body and my mind. Mm -hmm. And I also think you've got to work out on your soul, Mm. being around the right people, the right relationships, the energy givers. And so I can never make a decision if somebody's around me who's draining me or drama is going on whatever that might be if I'm not in a neutral mood I'm not making a decision that day yeah Yeah. that's a pretty important thing to understand as a business leader like you are because so often we're I have found with myself and the leaders I have the pleasure of supporting through my coaching practice that we're we're being asked to make decisions in nanoseconds right and so sometimes the decision can be the pause to go make the decision. And I don't think a lot of leaders really feel empowered to do that. So is there, did you have a teacher or a hard lesson or something that helped you anchor that, that as truly important for you? Yeah. I mean, so in reverse order, I, I still do it today. I had to make a decision last week and it did have to be made quite quickly. It's a bit time sensitive, mm-hmm. but I actually just lay down on the sofa for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. looked up at the ceiling and kind of just spent some time in, in, in being and my thought and what feels right, tuning in with my gut. And then I made the decision rather than me at my desk thinking, looking around, being on my phone. Mm. So whenever I have a limited time, I'll do that. If it's time sensitive and it can wait till tomorrow, I will always sleep. I always wake up with clarity of thought and a calmness. Uh, and it's always amazing. And I think, you know, I've had to learn um, to respond and not to react, mm-hmm. you know, not to see red and react or mm-hmm. to let my emotions go into overdrive. And yeah, I mean, the lesson as we've shared before was big one in my life in 2015 and lost my father. And as we've shared before, Alexis, it was, my father was killed and he was murdered and I was 23 years old then. And there were lessons that I never thought I was going to have to face into at 23, mm-hmm. how to control my emotions in a courtroom, how to fight a legal battle at a young age, how to, I remember being in a meeting and this is when it really hit me. Uh, she, a mentor of mine, Isabel from PwC, she came with me on this personal matter. And I said, this is going to be tricky. I had to face into the face of people behind my father's murder. And she said, look, when you go into the room, let any emotion just go down through your feet and into the ground, into the earth. Don't Mm. let it show in your face. And it was one of the hardest meetings, letting all that emotion go to have like a very clear face. Um, But I did it. And it's a lesson I still take today into myself. So it's a big lesson. Um, It's a bit of a tragic moment in my life, but my words, so many lessons it's taught me so many I'm grateful for today. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's another key that I find for leaders that are taking grace in, in with them moving forward is that they have, we all have bumps, tragedies, large and small through our life's journey. And in the moment they are what they are and 
hopefully we navigate them with as much consciousness as we can and we learn, right? But on the other side, almost, I can't actually can't think of a leader that on the other side of one of those moments hasn't looked back in the, taken the time for reflection and said, I'm really grateful. Like it, and that's a tough thing to say because what you're not saying you're really necessarily grateful that your dad isn't by your side, but that you were able to mine those lessons through that experience. Am I hearing you correctly that that's where the gratitude is? Yeah, exactly. I, I feel that I am a big believer in, you know, in my culture, I'm half Indian, it's called Kismet and, you know, your life is kind of planned out in the direction and journey. And I feel that I was, it was planned for me to lose my father at 23 in very tragic circumstances. It happened and I can't change the past. I can only learn from it and integrate those learnings into my life. Um, and having, oh God, you name the emotion, it was there. You know, the anger, the frustration, the sadness, the, all of that. But I realized it only chews me up. And so also believe in karma. What will be will be. I will focus my energy, I've got a lot of it, but I'll put it into the good stuff. It's not going to be all consuming. Um, and so, yeah, no, you are right. A very waffly answer for me to your question is, I'm very grateful for the lessons that have come from losing my dad. I can't change it. It's taught me what happiness is you know, truly being happy and finding joy in the small moments of life that generally cost nothing, you know, joy, being grateful for the sunrise. I think my girlfriend every day is, <laughs> hears me going on about the sun all the time. And I'm like, isn't it so amazing though? Like, look at it. You could, it's just there. So I think I was never like that pre 2015. Um, and see, so yeah, I'm grateful for the lessons uh, despite the horror at the time. Okay. Well, that brings us right into the evolving tenant, right? And this is about the alignment between soul and self. And so um, a lot of people are like, well, what's the difference? And while there isn't a difference, there is a difference. And mostly the monkey mind needs the distinction or finds the distinction useful in the conversation of the connection you make when you're laying on the couch or in the sauna, being connected to your higher self or soul, whatever word you might use for that. And then the self of you that's running your day to day, right? Um, do you find that that practice, or do you have other practices that you would share with us about how your evolution has has and it continues to happen? Yeah, I think, and I don't talk about this often, but I feel that there's often an idea that you have to be one or the other, either a hundred miles an hour, and that's you, and you can never sit still or that you're sat meditating all the time. And I just want to like rip that up a little bit because I'm very a hundred miles an hour. And for many friends, I'll be like, he never stops. My gosh, he's relentless. But the same friends I hope would also say, I'm very present when I'm with them. You know, wherever I am, I will be with you. So I think that comes down to, I'll always be a hundred miles an hour, but again, be a human being along the way, not a human just doing back to back, back to back. So I think... What, how have I learned that? I, again, I, I've had to make it a habit. You know, I've had to consciously do this from like meditation lessons uh, along the way to say, actually, you know, it used to start with every time before you go to bed, be grateful of X, Y, Z. Now I don't necessarily do that because I try to weave it into my everyday. Last night, for example, I was at dinner here in London and I was in, I was actually with somebody I haven't met for 21 years. There was crying all over it. Waiter kept coming over at the wrong time, wrong time. 
But as we were having conversation, I also, you know, was deep in convo, but also admiring the pink of the roses that were behind her. And my mind starts going not only to appreciate the pink of the rose, but the personal people who maybe picked those roses or planted them to allow them to be there today. And so it's this like fusion in my mind of the 100 miles an hour buzz is being consumed in like being grateful for that, appreciating that, like admiring this. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but basically I've had to train it um, to make it a bit of a habit today of, you know, being grateful for the plant behind you and that beautiful shade of green and who made your glasses that make you look so beautiful. Like all of that is so nice. Yeah, that's really true, though. And that, you know, there's a lot of really, really good poetry when you are digging into gratitude specifically, which I've done for many years, that beauty is uh, is like an activator or a catalyst for gratitude. And of course, that brings us to beauty being in the eye of the beholder. So what you might look at and feel deep reverence for, I may look past to the thing behind it or to the side of it. And so that's what makes it such an intimate experience and how I I love, like, I've never had anyone say it to me like that, but that's exactly what's happening to me all the time. Like literally when you're talking, I'm looking, wow, that sculpture up on the left top shelf is like really cool. I wonder where that's from. And does he know the artist or like, and as I'm being here with you, and so it's connecting me more to you and whether this is a hotel room or you're at your house, I have no idea. So that's really cool. Um, One of the underlying parts of evolution is understanding and, and this, this in itself does, does and can evolve, right? Or can and does evolve. Do you today under, have a clarity about your purpose in the world? And if so, would you share it with us? Mm-hmm. You know, it's one that I think about often because I think these days there's a lot of, I meet people who are like, I know my purpose. I'm very, very clear on my purpose. And I say, that's beautiful. And then I also meet people who are doing amazing things in the world and they're not too clear on their purpose. And I say, that's okay. For me, I think going back to the word evolving, I'm constantly getting more and more clarity as the days go on and I can't force it. Getting closer and closer to what I feel is my core purpose and reason for being on this earth. Don't get me wrong. What happened at 23 definitely fast-tracked it. I feel a little bit. If dad was still here today, I'm not sure it would have come as quick. So to answer your question, and you could ask me this in a year, I think it would be on the same lines, but the wording might change a little bit. But I, you know, for my purpose, I I sit and think about it. A feeling to empower individuals to own their narrative and life journeys and to see the blessings and learnings that come from the journey of life is basically where I see it being. And so that's every person I meet. I love just understanding their story, what's gone on in them their life, big, small, recent, old, historic, and what they've learned from it and how it shapes who they are today. It, it fascinates me. And it's something that people just seem to open up about. So yeah, that's what I feel that my purpose is, but it's getting clearer. I'd say it's like, you know, like 0.001, they count it within me, percent each day getting there. Who knows? I hope that I live till I'm 90, Alexis. I can give you a call and you'll be around too. And I can tell you clearly what it is. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're going to be 90, I don't know if I'll be here, but you know, I I absolutely believe that you can connect with me wherever I am. Just send up a smoke signal and I'll get it. 
And so based on what I've learned about you, I would say you're living into that purpose with uh, a ton of grace and power um, and focus. So that's quite beautiful. Um, And you're right. They evolve. I remember when I first came up with my, you know, I have creating safe places for souls to show up as kind of a driver that I run everything through. So like, does this thing that I'm going to do invest in, does it feed that value proposition I want in the world for myself? Um, And so I, I think when you get clear about that, it creates a clarity about every single other thing. Because if it doesn't feed that or serve that, it's a no. Like it helps in decision making really, really, really well. So that's that's really cool. So tenant four is the is the transparency tenant, which is where I really want to deep dive with you a little bit. Um, This is with yourself, right? First, being true and honest about whatever that is for you with you, which I know for me, I. I hit and still am uncovering a lot of the, just a lot of the things, you know, the experiences, the pluses and minuses, they're not all horrible at all. I just filed them away in the filing cabinet and forgot where the key was kind of thing. So that's a journey. Um, But when did you first become aware of some of the roles um, that you play in your life and the impact or the trajectory of where that's taken you? And, and I, I love this question because I think it really connects who I am today with actually where did this start or what kind of provoked this. And I think one role that I like to play, whether I play it well or not, is up to other people's thoughts. It's to, to mediate, you know, when you have two people with such that could be family, friends, arguments, disagreements to just understand two people's opinions and, and kind of to mediate a situation. So oftentimes people will be like, Jan, could you come in and just, you know, kindly sort this out? That could be friends, it's family. It's, and, and I think, honestly, I, you know, this sparked at the age of 10. You know, my parents went through a divorce and March the 1st, 2002, um, we left overnight on a train. My mum and dad were split and it's hundreds of miles away. And for the following years, and this is not something I've ever spoken about, really, I then had to, throughout a messy divorce case, see my dad, see my mum, and make sure everybody was happy. And it was really tricky and challenging to have to understand two very different points of view at a quite young age. And don't get me wrong, they were great and not bad-mouthing each other, but just, yeah, everybody had their own views there, and I had to quickly get to terms with, right, there's two adults here who don't want to be together because they have different views on the world or whatever it might be, but they're both very meaningful to me. And I'm going to have to navigate this for the rest of my life or however long I have. And so, yeah, it's kind of always stayed with me of how I've had to just quickly read a situation. And I look back at the age of 10 and I'm like, fair play, fair play, didn't do a bad job. You know? <laughs> But I also look like, damn, that's quite intense at the age of 10, some of the stuff that I, I picked up and dealt with. But again, grateful for what it's taught me today. So I think that's one of the things. Another thing I've got to say is uh, one of my roles, if it is, you know, I like to help people in need, genuinely. Like, I love to help them. And and this has stemmed, I think, a lot from what happened with my dad when I was 23, because I was in need myself. I was financially ruined in what happened. And it was one of the lowest points of my life. And I like to help people who genuinely need help and support, whether that is emotional, 
financial, whatever it might be. Those people who are just, I see like scrubbing the floors of a restaurant who are just making ends meet as a single mom, you know, can't afford to pay the rent. Like those people I love as a role to even just sit with them, understand them and just tell them that life is going to be okay. Um, and that's come from a place of being there myself in the receiving end and maybe having a lack of people who've did that, but a few who really helped me as well. Um, so yeah, they're kind of two key things pivotal in my life, the mediating and understanding and adapting to people I feel. And then also the really wanting to help people that, yeah, I have to pull that back sometimes because sometimes I just want to help the world, but I have to help myself first as well. <laughs> That's been a key lesson for me as well, because, um, I, you know, I was a single mom for on and off for a while. And, you know, I'll never forget my first understanding of it wasn't cog- it wasn't conscious, but I had a knowing that the un- God universe, whatever, however you identify with something bigger than yourself provides because there was a time when um, I needed milk for the kids and it was like, I didn't have any money period. Right. So I got, I went to the mailbox that day and received a $3 and 97 cent check in the mail. And it was a refund I'd filled out for some silly thing months ahead, never thinking you're going to see that right for $3, but $3 bought milk. And I remember standing there in front of the mailbox I had opened it up and I was getting ready to cross the street, just looking up saying, thank you, because it was all divine timing. And it was all, um, it was just one of those anchoring moments in my life of where I, I learned that there's, there's something bigger than myself providing for myself and others. And so, um, and sometimes it comes in the way of, you know, human angels, right? When, when you learn from being in that place. So now I obviously, maybe it's not obvious, but I have a soft spot for single moms having been one. And so when I understand that someone is in that spot and they can't make the rent or they need money for school supplies, I am so honored. Like I feel so honored to give whatever the giving is in that moment for that person. Um, There's just no better gift for me, much less for them. Is that kind of how you experience it as well? It is exactly like that. I love to give. I just love to and I guess time is the most precious commodity, you know, it's, and this is, this was a big moment for me when I left PwC in the city to go off and do what we do together today was there were talk about leadership and aligning and everything. I'll tell you a little story is that we were going out for a team dinner to an Indian restaurant, nothing too fancy. And I remember we went out for this dinner and there was like 15 of us and the food was okay. The service was poor, but they put all the money in, we paid each. And there was quite a hefty amount of money left over, like 50 pounds, that is $70, $80. And and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, just leave it, leave it. And I was like, no. So outside in London Bridge, there was a a young homeless man. Day in, day out, I'd been walking by him saying hello on my way to the office. And I said, you know what, everyone, like, no, I'm going to take this and go speak to somebody, the young guy that we've all seen. And that evening, and they're not bad people, nobody cared. Nobody thought, oh, that's a nice idea. I didn't need recognition. But I couldn't believe that I was around these people who would rather leave the money there for bad service than go and help somebody in need about 30 meters outside. And so I went that night to him, got a hostel for him in London, 
and and then kind of just sat down and spoke to him about where he's going to go next and how we can help him and it's a real wake-up call for me just of those who I'm around and my purpose there was something then that night that was just like I again they're not a bad guy I love PwC we work closely with them but I need change and I need to align with whatever this is that makes me say I'm the one who's going to take the money and help this guy out here rather than the other 15 people who say leave the tip because I ain't like those 15 people and I need to act on it now yeah so I don't know where that story was going, but there's a little story for you. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful story because it, it brings us into connecting with self and universe. And it reminds me of a story when um, I was probably, mm, it was before children. So I was like in my early, very early 20s, late 1920, 21 area. And um, outside of an area that I frequented, there was a gentleman that was always there. It looked like he was homeless. I didn't want to put that on him, but that's how it appeared. And every day I would go in and this was when I was eating fast food. So forgive that part, but I would go in and it was McDonald's and I'd get two lunches and I would just go sit with him and we'd have lunch together. Mm-hmm. And we never asked those questions. We only exchanged first names. I did this for like three months. And so I really looked forward to this lunchtime with, with, with him. And then one day he wasn't there. And I remember the, the, the loss. I didn't know where to go to look. I asked a few people around. No one really ever knew him. And I, I remember much in a similar twist of thinking we're invisible. Like we're all invisible to somebody. We're all walking by each other, not seeing each other. I don't really know how to change all that. But like when I open a door, I make eye contact. When someone opens a door with me, I'm really working hard to do that. Um, when I travel, which I haven't done in a while, so for one recent trip, I collect smiles when I'm in traveling through the airports because it's right. so fun. And yes. one and and one day I sat across from a it was in Texas, this beautiful cowboy, older gentleman in his hat and his boots, just gorgeous. And I was like, I'm gonna get that smile, right? So it took me 20 minutes for him. He looked at me, but very stoically, but for him to just crack a smile and give me mm. that exchange. And I just, I just think it's fascinating the connecting piece just between human beings, yes. um, much less connecting to something bigger or mm. other forms of beingness out there that someone may believe is there and experience. Well, yeah. I, I love it. I, I used to, my dad used to do this actually. He'd always jokingly be like, I bet, can you bet me like five pounds? I can make her crack a smile. And especially when you'd go somewhere where the receptionist was just like, yes, what do you want? Like, but it was a beautiful way to say, actually, I'm not going to let their bad day or their bad energy come at me. I'm going to try flip it around, actually, Mm -hmm. when I look at it now. And now I do this. Call me odd. I was in Dubai last week and going on a run and I will just smile at everyone I saw around the marina because why the hell not? Yeah. It makes you feel good. They smile. You smile. Smiling's contagious. Yep. I just think, yeah, why not? I know. And it's just, yeah, anyway, (laughs) it it is overwhelming when you just think about the power of a smile, just like we're both going like, why wouldn't you? And we just often don't. And so this through COVID, did you, have you had the experience keeping this in the connecting thing, person to person about the loss of the hug? Did you experience that? Oh, you know, I guess I haven't really brought it to my full attention uh, because I'm a big hugger. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I suppose it's an interesting one. Um, I feel right. I feel <laughs> that I have now. Now we're back in person. I appreciate the hug. Yes. But when I didn't have it, I tried not to think too much that I've what I've lost. Yeah. Which I guess is a bit of a mindset that I try to keep of like when something is not present. Mm-hmm. I try not to worry that it's not there, but when it is present, trying to be grateful for it. Yep. Um, something like that, I suppose, because I'm a big hugger and I always notice I'm never the first person. I read I read this article a few weeks ago, actually, about like 50 lessons from an 80 year old man. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And one of them was never be the first to let go in the hug. Mm. And now that's me. So if I hug, if I ever meet somebody who's met, read that article, I imagine we just we're going to be in trouble when we finally meet yeah. in person. <laughs> I'm like, Alexis, get off. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I do yeah. love a hug, a genuine hug. Don't yeah. give me a fake little cold hug. No. I can no. feel through that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. It was it was one of the things that um, I missed most during COVID. Um, was just hugging my loved ones. And it, I, I, I wasn't as resilient or as mindful in my practice of not missing it. I missed it. So, <laughs> okay. So tell me, um, we've done a, we've had a actually in, incidentally, a, like a fair amount of conversation about gratitude, right. And it looks like you're, it's just woven in your life. Can mm-hmm. you, do you remember a period in time where you, that, was hard work for you or it was intentional work to get it woven into your life? Or has it just always been like that? No, I wouldn't say it's always been that. I think it's definitely evolved over the last seven years mm-hmm. uh, a lot. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, there's definitely a period when it's not been in my life. Although, you know, lessons from being younger, I remember, uh, you know, my dad always saying things to me again you know, have ambition, but be grateful for what you've got right now, Mm -hmm. you know, live in the moment and and be satisfied and, and all of these types of things. And he would always take me because my dad came from nothing, worked very hard to where he got to. And he'd take me to a five-star hotel for dinner. Then the next night he'd take me to like the cheapest thing where you eat with your hands, you know, and Mm -hmm. he'd say, look over there. He was like, look how hard that woman is working. You know, she's made your food. She's done this, that, that, that constantly to the point as a kid I'm like yeah dad all right like stop going on about it or like you know if I left any food on my plate he'd be like there are children who are starving in the world mm-hmm. you know are you going to leave that food and I suppose behind that unintentionally or intentionally maybe from him don't know um was making me be grateful for what I do have what many people do not have so yeah I think that's been I, 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 it's an interesting one I guess maybe it's like I'm no rock star when it comes to gratitude. I'm just me, but maybe it's become a bit more, I've given it the nice label of what it is and mm-hmm. become more aware of when I practice sure. it and shows up. Yeah. I think yeah. that's maybe what's happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that practices, be them physical, emotion, mental, emotional, mindful, financial. Um, those are they, the practices, the, the act of moving it from the subconscious mind to the conscious mind. Right. And mm. so, once it's in your consciousness, then you can make better. I don't even know if I want to say better, more conscious choices about when to deploy or enlist or lean on those practices that um, create resilience and hopefully happiness for you. So yeah, that's really good. Okay. So co-creating and innovating. This is, this should be an interesting one for you because I consider you sell, you a pretty, I think you're a huge innovator. 
And I'm going to, I'd like you to tell a little bit about that in the framework of TLC Lions. So tell me a little bit, we talk about diversity in here. Um, We talk about discerning when to follow and when to lead. Um, I would like to hear, and I think the audience would love to hear, um, how the heck did you birth TLC Lions? (laughs) Um, So where did it all come from, right? Well, yeah, to be honest, it's it's funny because quite a few people have asked me this this week, and yet I haven't spoken about it for a long time. Funny. Um, how did it come about? I left PwC with this purpose coming and bubbling up, I suppose, and it was going to be a podcast um, where I was going to interview people about adversity in their life and how they've overcome it, and I really wanted to know the life lessons to share. And then a report did come out from Deloitte in October 2017 about the cost of mental health in the workplace, presenteeism, absenteeism. And I emailed the author of the report that night, Elizabeth Hampson, bit of a shout out. She's great. And I met her and she said, look, I love what you're coming up with here. This like evoking emotion, sparking conversation. This needs to be bigger. You need to take it in person. So I was like, oh, bloody hell. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I then actually, I don't often share this. The equivalent in the UK is Dragon's Den. You guys have Shark Tank in the US, right? I was at home for some reason ironing a shirt that night. Don't like ironing. And the equivalent of Shark Tank is like on the television and I'm just like doing my own thing, not really focusing. And then a lady comes on pitching her idea, which is around like children's cushions. And I was just like, well, another idea, I'm ironing. And then she's obviously pitching. And then they said to her, sorry, why? Like, why have you come up with this? And she just said, she said, I had two children, twins, but I lost one of them. And I do this in their memory. And I just stopped ironing. And I was like, oh, I was like, this woman's why is so deep. And I don't know, something told me I had to find her. So I find her online. I message her. She was like, I'm in London tomorrow. Come and meet me and my husband for coffee. Lovely lady, Sarah. I met her. And then she also said, let's take this bigger. Like, this is amazing. Like, she understood my why about my dad and and things. And then, yeah, I created it. Lion is mine and my father's middle name, um, Singh, when translated from Sanskrit. And that's how it came to be. And I wanted to, you know, our mission is to humanize the working world through the power of stories to show that sharing your story doesn't make you less professional. It makes you more human. And, you know, we want to evoke the skill of empathy. That's not a little nice to have. It's a business imperative. And as I always say, Alexis, it's not just let's step into somebody else's shoes. Nice little empathy. For me, it's if I hear somebody's story, I can start to feel what they've felt, experience what you've experienced without having to live through what you've lived through. And then it educates me the next time somebody's in my team who might be a different background, race, religion, nationality, sexual orientation, ability. I think twice because that person's story stayed with me. And I'm going to think twice about how I create an inclusive place for people to work. So, yeah, that's how it came to be. Um, and obviously you're on the journey now, which is amazing. I'm so pleased. Yeah, no, I know. I am too. It was perfect, perfect timing in, in a lot of ways. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's innovation. It's best in a time when you're a little ahead of the curve, maybe a little bit like me talking about grace and leadership. Um, and so it's a little bit harder to get the momentum, right? But we're, I think we're kind of cresting that. And, and as we come back together, I, uh, I believe that inside 
one of the blessings of COVID for many people, and there's been plenty of, I'm not playing down the cost for many other people. Um, but So I'll speak for me inside of it. The pause that it gave me um, and the reflection that it offered that I took advantage of um, created a less noise. And inside of there, I was able to really be more discerning with myself, you know, many more couch moments um, and just tuning in. And um, I think that gives a breathing space for innovation when you're able to do that. I think that's why a lot of the cool tech companies have, you know, give some of your people a day a month to do nothing and maybe they'll come up with something brilliant for you or for someone else kind of thinking. So I think it's getting, we're getting closer. Okay. The um, next tenant is in the last, the sixth tenant is compassionately powerful in all things. And this is where um, specifically this came in through a lot of my coaching when we talk about specifically the masculine and the feminine. So in our traditional sense, it would show up as male and female. That is not what I mean. It is often how it presents. But there's often men who present more feminine energy, and there's women that present more masculine energy. And I would say the latter is something that a lot of women that have risen up inside their roles in corporate America are battling now because the model was masculine, not to make it wrong. It was just what was there. And so when your model is masculine, and you're perhaps have other attributes, but you can't figure out how to deploy them like empathy or inclusion, right? You can't figure out how to deploy them because there's no model for that. In fact, in some instances, that type of thing is not rewarded and it's punished or dismissed in many, many ways. So this compassionately powerful thing is allows us to hold the duality that I can be compassionate and caring and hold my power. And I need not put either one down for the other. So when um, this would happen a lot was my personal experience. I hear still a lot from women. I can either be really powerful and bitchy, or I can be really, you know, soft, compassionate, but I'm a doormat. And I don't know how to lead a $3 billion company as a doormat, but I also know this other thing isn't working. And so we'll talk about this. And this is where this tenant kind of came into um, the birthing process here. So what does it, what does it mean? What does the idea of compassionately powerful bring up for you? I think for me, I don't think about this. It's a quietness, but accuracy of decision-making where it's the ability to make real change, but to do so quietly and with deep care where yeah, that's kind of what it is. That's what it is for me. It's very quiet yet powerful. Um, like it can roar, but it's done very quietly. And I think it's it comes back to what you said. You know, a lot of our work is around inclusion and to show that you don't need to bang on the table to have a valid voice. You don't need to who can shout the loudest for the bravado to make a real difference. And and I hope that corporate America is changing to realize the power of whether that's masculine, the feminine energy that you know, empathy is powerful. And it made me think, actually, I put something online a, a couple of months ago and somebody commented this comment and I've got it here because it really stuck with me. And somebody put, I mean, they put this about me, but it's not, it's more about like just generally um caring leaders. They put your story shows us that showing care and being an effective 
effective leader are not mutually exclusive of each other, but a necessary partnership. And I just love that the necessary, not just a partnership, a necessary partnership. And this was a man, senior leader. And I just loved it. Showing care and being an effective leader, not mutually exclusive. They are a necessary partnership. And I couldn't agree more with that statement. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. Right. That is beautiful. What a gift for them to share it with you like that. And that is how we envelope compassionately powerful. And what one of the things that um, I wonder how you'll respond to this, because when I've said it's gentle or quiet, the power, um, I get questions like this from typically senior women. Okay, but what if I'm in a room and my male counterparts are neither of those things? And I'm in the room, how do I be quiet and powerful and gentle and still get airtime or get space on the agenda? Or am I heard and seen? Because what it feels like and it occurs to me in the room is that I'm spoken over and I'm run over. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? I think there's two things. One, this is where the power of allies obviously comes in. And you'd hope that in that room, there's always somebody who recognizes the voice. If not, I've also learned the power of the pause, which is as and when you do get the mic, and I know it can be easy to not, it can be difficult to get once you've got it. And that is maybe outside of the comfort zone for some people, men and women, oftentimes, maybe more so feminine, as you say. But once you've got the mic, I think the way in which you deliver the message, pausing mid-sentence when they know you're not finished, people tend not to interrupt as much and to say, well, hang on. Da, 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 da. And actually, uh, rather than then, you know, owning the time and knowing that this is valid time, nobody's going to take this off me. And so I think, again, there's a way that you can politely interject and interrupt gracefully, mindfully. You know, it's not he or she who shouts the loudest has the best idea. But I do I do get that. And I think it's good that you raise that, that especially young, I meet young women today who say, well, actually I'm in there with all senior men and I don't know how to speak up. And I think that's one thing. It's actually being coached and having mentors who can teach you how to communicate in a way that lands with impact and influence. That's why storytelling is powerful. I feel, you know, if you can tell a story and captivate them on a journey, lock them, they're going to bloody listen. I Mm. love that. And it brings up last night, um, I'm not want to get political, but I thought it was a really good demonstration. The U.S. is going through the confirmation hearings for a a new judge. And um, she was spoken over and badgered a fair amount. And I I felt she did a really good job with that pause. She'd start and she'd pause and everybody would wait and catch up and then she'd continue. I thought she did it beautifully. So it was a really nice example of exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So nice. I need to catch up and watch that. Um, yeah, it was, she is, it was very powerful. And I hadn't listened to it in a while. I definitely felt my emotions coming up or down based upon who was questioning and, you know, all of the things, but anyway. Okay. So here, here's one more thing we'll wrap up with here. The consciousness of, belo- of belonging for a leader. How have you seen this manifest in leaders you've supported or organizations that you've supported? I know TLC Lions has a belonging conversation going on. And I'd love for you to share what you see and have learned about that concept. Yeah, I think I break this down to the kind of the consciousness and, and then the, the sense of belonging. I feel that when I, so, so from the leaders we've supported, like 
I've got to say that most leaders that I speak to who've risen up the ranks are quite self-aware. I've got to say they know themselves, whether it's right or wrong, and we disagree or agree with their approach. They know how they are most effective, productive, and their strengths, whether they're good leaders or managers. And I find that quite fascinating. Um, they know themselves. In terms of the belonging, though, I was thinking about this and I think some have created a culture where they might truly belong because they've created it or dictated it or enabled it. But do others really feel that belonging in that environment in which you've created one and two, uh, they, yeah, they might belong in their environment, but I'm not sure they would feel that they belong elsewhere if they, if they left that. And I say this because yesterday I was on with, the CEO of an insurance company. And I was fascinated in one regard, how much he knew himself, you know, and he's like, this is what I do. And I put my boundaries and, you know, I just, and I said, I get that it was politely challenging. Uh, I, I said, but you know, for a new, new graduate who's in the office at midnight and this happens, he's like, yeah, I would just walk out. And I said, but that's nice of you to say now. And that might be you know, you've got awareness that you will never work till midnight because you've got other priorities. But down on the ground, that's not the reality. And so, you know, you find, and it goes back to what you just said, the men, the women, okay, well, you might have just walked out because that's who you are. But I know so many people who'd be scared, frightened, and would never have the confidence to defy seniority or mid-management. And so that's, a, so that's a long way of me saying, whilst I think that a lot of leaders are very self-aware in those we've supported and they know themselves, I'm not always sure they realize, okay, that's nice that you know you, but how does that impact other people and create a sense of belonging for them? Because I don't think you're always aware of the impact of that on others. That's quite waffly. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> so that goes into, there's a tenant here and a graceful leader that talks about the I and we construct and the evolution of yourself as a human. And then you as a leader compounding event um, is that I see the world for, through Lexi's eyes. Cause that's the only set of eyes I have. And I filter the world and judge the world and sort the world through this. And then one day I have this evolution that maybe there's another point of view, <laughs> just at least one. Right. And so I lift my head and I look across the room and I see this thing called other. And I start to make, be curious and I start to have inquiry and I start to hear their stories. Um, and then I begin to understand that there's many more views and it helps someone to un also understand how 10 people can be in the room having the same experience at the same time. And if you interview the 10 people, there's 10 different stories, right? It's a cool phenomenon, but it's unnerving as a leader because you're like, if we're all in the room and I literally said the same thing to all 10 of you, how do you have 10 different interpretations of the same thing I said, right? And so that, that brings us back to I. And so what happens is, is that evolution and that self-awareness, when I see it moving most gracefully, and that's why there's an infinity symbol on the cover of the book, is that that person is moving through that infinity symbol between the I and we construct always. And they're, they're trying to discern as best they can and through practice and fumbling it up sometimes and successes where they are going to be on that infinity symbol to be in the right position at the right time to foster belonging for everyone. And that's a dance. That is a very tough dance. And, and very few leaders actually do it without stepping on a lot of toes, even in the end of their career, even though they see that as something, 
it's an art and it takes a lot of practice. And I find a lot of times, I wonder how you feel about this, that leaders get to a certain point. They've mastered many things that they wouldn't have been there. Uh, and it's really hard for them to go back to beginner's mindset, to be willing to learn that new dance, right? To be, okay, I've got this and this, but now I got to work on this belonging thing. And I need to admit that I need to be student again. Are you finding that? Yeah, massively, massively. And I think, and that's the difference, isn't it? The leaders who, you know, when you talk about evolving, I don't think we're ever, my personal opinion, are we ever fully evolved? I don't think so. I, I think we're constantly evolving and constantly learning. And I think if you've got that growth mindset, always learning, there's always more. And it reminds me, you know, you must speak to our new chairman in the Americas, you know, he's 73 years old, an amazing guy who's taught me so much. And he said to me when I last saw him in New York, he said, do you know what, Ken, I'm 73 and I've never been more excited what I've going to learn in the next 20 years. And I just thought that's the type of leader I like to be around who knows I've got so much more to learn. Um, so, yeah, see that a lot. And, and I think it's that thing and it comes with arrogance and I know everything and, and then nothing is going to change in the organization. So I always have to say there's those leaders who are intellectually connected to this and then those who are emotionally connected and it's, it's very difficult. There's always some that need that extra push. And <laughs> fair enough. I, fair enough. I know sometimes pushing can be graceful, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Is there anything, I really want to thank you for your time. Is there anything that you would like to leave people with um, a couple words of wisdom or an invitation to anything for their own um, action item after this that you would encourage them to explore or ponder? I guess just one little thing. Um, yeah. It's a quote that I seem to come up with randomly last month in having moments of distress, but also moments of growth is that I realized, you know, there's uncomfortable things that happen in our lives outside of our control and they feel awkward. They're really not nice. But I realized that, you know, it's comfort or growth and we can't have both. And now in those moments that do feel uncomfortable, I know that that's the time I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. And so whether that's before a meeting that you're not looking forward to, if it's a relocation of a job, a new job, I always say, look, you can stay comfortable or you can grow. But that growth behind it normally comes with a bit of discomfort. So I reframe it each and every time. So there there you go. Comfort or growth. I don't believe we can have both. (laughs) You got to go one through one to the other, I guess. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to The Power of a Graceful Leader. Please join your host, Alexis Thompson, for another enlightening edition of the program soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.